Hey, this is Caleb. I am here with a very special guest, Jim Garcia. This is part five of my interview series with Grumpy Grandpa over here. The song you just heard was Fascination from the film Love in the Afternoon, starring Audrey Hepburn and Gary Cooper. A song that you enjoy. Very much. Very much. Very much. I have not seen the film, but it looks like a good film. It was a very romantic movie and romantic song, and we both remember it, and it became our song. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of good orchestra and instruments and stuff in that song. Very sentimental, uh, very moving piece. So, Audrey Hepburn, very yeah. talented actress. I think the first uh, big Gary Cooper movie I saw was High Noon, probably, that I oh, yes. identified. This is Gary Cooper. And uh, for Audrey Hepburn, it was probably Breakfast at Tiffany's and then My Fair Lady. Gary Cooper uh, also played with Ingrid Bergman. Uh, oh, of Casablanca fame. In a movie uh, that had to do with, um, I think, the Italian War. Mm. And uh, there's a song in there that's probably that they played throughout the movie. That's one of my most favorite classical pieces of music. It's a story about by written by Ernest Hemingway, and I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. Um, but from whom the bells toll. Yes. Oh. From whom the bells toll. Yes. And uh, that, that poem, mm -hmm. beautiful, yeah, beautiful story. Um, but the music is fantastic, and I can't remember if I spoken to you about it in the past episodes. No, I don't think you have. But um, it's a it's a classical piece of music written for guitar and orchestra. Oh, interesting. And uh, the composer's name is Rodriguez, and. Uh, it's it's an intense piece, and at some point I feel like it actually pierces the heart. It's so intense, and you know something tragic or something sad has happened, if not just a broken heart, uh, but it hurts bad. And but the, the long and short of it is when mercy was working, her, one of her first time jobs was at night, so she worked swing shift. For the school district, For right? the school district. And she would get off at midnight. Well, I'm her boyfriend at, mm -hmm. at that point, so I would pick her up from work every night uh, from, from downtown Los Angeles. Very and, chivalrous of you. And take, take, her, take her home. But... Where well, the song comes in is that she got off at midnight. And at midnight, the program for the classical music program, KFAC, changed to another, another um, person and another uh, barrage of music. But the theme song was that song, from, and the movie took that song. So I would hear that every night when I would pick up Mercy. On a radio station. On that a radio would, that station. Would play classic. While, while I was waiting, she would come out right at that time. Classical music. Yeah, mm -hmm. Classical music. Yeah. 
And of course, that's the music that they played throughout For Whom the Bells Toll oh. with Gary Cooper and Ingrid Bergman. I'll add that one to my list of movies to see. Oh, it was a, it was a good story. And um, one of the guys who plays in there, short man, uh, stocky, and he played uh, with a not-so-good personality. Mm -hmm. But some of the lines in there are, you can't forget because yeah. of the way he said it. And his wife, Pilar, was always jabbing him verbally. And, and she was trying to get him to do something for Gary Cooper, who was a soldier in the, in the American army helping the Italians. And he would say, after she said something to push him, she said, he would say, I do not provoke. And then she push him again and again and again and come back and, I do not provoke. And it was, it was just the way he said it, the line, the whole story. He was, was a great actor. Do you have some other favorite films that jump to mind? Um, that you enjoy? Not in particular at the moment. I, I'd have to kind of oh. go down memory lane a little bit. But when they come to you, I, I, jump I, in. I think, uh, did I tell you about Psycho? <laughs> I'm familiar with Psycho. Did I tell you the episode that I had with my wife on Psycho? No. Um, we went to a drive-in movie. Wow, good date movie. Just her and myself. We're in the front seat, very close to each other. And of course, it was kind of a thriller-type movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, there was a spot coming up, and I don't think I had seen the movie. Maybe I did, because I knew what was going to happen or something. So there was a spot in the movie where I knew something was going to be startling. So because I was so close to her, I turned my head to her, and because she noticed I did, so she was going to turn her head to see what I wanted, but I made this terrible face. And and at that same time, the film made the startling uh, move, and the music, and everything went berserk, and so she slugged me in the face <laughs> on my chin. <laughs> Bam! Right on the chin. So I guess I won't do that again. She was a little spooked. <laughs> that was psycho. That's cool. Did you go to a bunch of drive-in movies? Um, That's kind I of. I don't a... think it was any excessive, but but yeah, we went to a few. Yeah, um, used to be, but huge. we went to it with the kids too. Oh, with the kids, yeah, yeah. used to be. The that thing was something to do, else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a trip in itself to bring the kids to see a drive-in movie and yes. make sure they had their pajamas on. Sometimes you get a double feature. That's right. See. Yeah. Speaking of movies, yes. how's that for a segue? Recently, your brother, Ron Garcia, yes. received a Career Achievement in Television Award from the American Society of Cinematographers. Yes. And you went to the award ceremony. How was that experience? Well, that was pretty amazing um, because... Ron, my brother, has been in the filming industry since he was, gee, I don't, I don't know, I think he's 18, 19, 20. He was very, very young. And here he's receiving a Life Achievement Award presented by his, his associates. 
mm-hmm. who are cinematographers. And there were um, four people that were awarded awards that night, and he and he was one of them. So he had invited his uh, whole family, including myself and my brother. And the only sad thing was that he would have invited my other brother, but he had already passed away. Yes. But he invited his wife, so she was there. Imagine that, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, Ron's whole family was there. So, um... Who, we don't see that often because they, they're spread out yeah, over and, a few and, states. And, and, and there were a few that were in different states. One mm-hmm. was in Colorado, and I think the other one is... I'm not sure. Glenn, the, Glenn's in Oregon. Oh, in Oregon. Yeah, okay, I would Oregon. say Washington, but it must be Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, but they, they flew down to, to be there. And, uh, you know, he had... It's been through, fun, a fun reunion. Say what? A fun reunion of Oh, yes. Of oh, people. yeah. And, of course, he was very uh, proud to have all of his family there uh, to see him get, get this award. And just one of the... The thing that they did was pretty nice is for each each recipient they showed excerpts from all the movies that they worked on oh, his nice. own work so you got a quick panoramic review of, of all the things they did but it was his actually cinematography that was shown so that, that was kind of neat to say oh yeah I remember that film oh yeah I remember that film and it was he who was the cinematographer so that, that was that was pretty neat and <clears throat> because it was downtown I mean in Hollywood huge Hollywood, yeah Dolby Theater right? Dolby Theater and it was a huge screen on, on two sides of this this wonderful yeah. banquet room and uh, and that's next to Man Chinese where they do the Oscars in that big theater there were so many people and so many cars I didn't even know who was next to what yeah. building. <laughs> All I was concentrating on was trying to find a parking place and, and, and yeah. finding the building itself. But I, I but uh, it and was wasn't like, wasn't Denzel Washington there? Den, uh, Denzel Washington was uh, he he received a reward yeah, because he the... was an actor who uh, became a director and and That's right, but, yeah. but it was with his first movies where. He almost took the role of a cinematographer, if you oh, will, yeah, sure. from, the, from the eyes of a director. Yeah. So they awarded him. Award. Yeah. Yeah, boy, he did. Um, I think The Great Debaters was his first film, and then Fences just I mean, last the, year. The Great Debaters was yeah. another one. Yeah, no, it was uh, fantastic. I think there were, see, I think uh, I, I'd never been in a banquet room that, that big, and I believe. I think it was 1,800 people sat down for a dinner. Nice. And, and, uh, Dressed to the nines. It was a black tie <laughs> affair. Yeah. And, I, and, and his whole family had to wear a tux. So I was, it was a pretty, pretty nice event. And the banquet room was just magnificent. The table settings, the decorations, and the whole decor was just, mm-hmm. just absolutely... Um, how they say in the movie, spectacular. Yeah, it just really was. But I do remember just one story when yeah. Ron first became uh, interested in the movies. His One of his first jobs, if not the first job, was they asked him if he wanted to film a boat race mm, oh yeah. in the bay. And he said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. 
And the catch was that he would have to take it in a helicopter, sitting on the side with the doors open, filming the boats and the boat race. And that was one of his first jobs that he had to do. And he got bitten by the bug. And He's like, this is great. History thereafter, all the way into some of the TV movies that you've seen. Numbers, yeah, he numbers, directed numbers, the oh, Gilmore Girls, the new Hawaii Five O, Hawaii Five O, and the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, so, but it was a real nice, nice yeah. event, and I was very happy to see his work recognized by his peers. Yeah, that, that that's, uh, that's that's an amazing thing, and I, I know he was touched, and he had to give a, a, a appreciation speech, a thank you speech. So I've never heard him speak in front oh, yeah. of 1,800 people. So that was... Good speech. Something. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you know, it was um, sentimental. Um, but I guess the only thing that really affected me, because when I go to events that's unique, I really try and be observant and see what I can see that I've never seen before. That's interesting, important, beautiful... Uh, unique, different, and that kind of thing. And although I'm not necessarily a crazy buff about movies, or if you would, Hollywood in quotes, especially if you hear some of the the celebrities speak. On behalf, oh my <laughs> gosh! So, You're a little political at and, times. And little polite, well, all the time, and then and then some of the movies get a little a little risque. <laughs> but when I heard. These, uh, the history of these four other cinematographers come up, <clears throat> excuse me, and one walked up actually with the help of an individual. He was almost actually humped, humped back, bent over pretty badly, had a cane, walked very slow to the, to the microphone. And when I heard his story, my perspective of Hollywood went out the window. What was his story? Just, just, just the way he talked about his profession and <clears throat> talked about... You could see he, he, he was in love with his profession and he enjoyed it and he enjoyed it for its beauty and for what it could portray and image and have other people enjoy. And <clears throat> he did was so genuine that I was moved by his speech and I just wasn't expecting that that was good and I think when you're behind the camera you're first and foremost about the passion for the medium Mm -hmm. you're not doing it to get rich and famous right right like in front of the camera right you know but he was just so genuine and real and and it's like I don't associate that necessarily with Hollywood celebrity and yet it was real obvious. Uh, very genuine, and very real, and very passionate. Um, it's a night to remember. It was. It was. It was good. And you, uh, you're familiar with that area, Hollywood and Highland, and downtown LA and Hollywood. You've yeah, a little bit. Um, spent some time there. And it went a lot of different ways. Your old stomping grounds. <laughs> kind of. Um, with my best friend. Henry. In, in high school, and Henry, we would go, quote, cruising, end of quote, down Sunset Boulevard or Hollywood Boulevard, both, to see what we could see. And mm-hmm. 
when you were dating, you know? Well, uh, we, uh, most of the trips were with Henry, just to go see what was happening down there, but then there was a time when they used to have the Hollywood parade every year, and uh, I had taken my wife to it, and um, we remember it pretty close, it was so packed, and we saw that we saw the parade and either before or right after that we went right across the street there was a restaurant there really old Hollywood restaurant we went to and ate so it was a great it was a great night uh, just just to be there uh, what it represented because uh, we're, we're just together alone you know Mercy and I and it was just a nice a nice time and I, I believe we have taken the kids there a couple of times too and didn't you work in downtown well, downtown, but not Hollywood. No, oh, yeah. But at the same time, when we were married and had a family, a new family, uh, I took her to took her dancing at the Hollywood Palladium. Oh, nice! And uh, it was all they had was a live orchestra sitting up on a stage, big dance hall in the middle, tables surrounding the dance floor, and they had a balcony with with uh, tables on the on the up, upstairs too. And uh, and uh, we danced the night away. And now today, um, the band that we that we heard and danced to, um, a lot of our youth probably would say, "Are you kidding me? That's the band that you played." <laughs> <laughs> it was Lawrence Welk. Oh, Lawrence Welk. Lawrence Welk Welk's live and uh, all his singers and, um, but it, it was a good night. Yeah. And uh, in Hollywood, anything else? Um, there was one restaurant that I took Mercy to called the Fez, F-E-Z. Like the hat? No. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know, uh, because I think it's Arabic. Yeah. So, I don't know. The Fez hat. It, it could be, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. But I I talk, asked to a, ask a friend at work said I, was, I want to take my wife to something special it's the anniversary. So he told me about the Fez in Hollywood. Okay, I'll do it. And he said it's a unique place, so make sure you have plenty of money. And the reason why is because they tell you the menu that's on for that night. There is no menu. Oh. There are no prices. And I figured, I'm, I I know how to wash dishes, so there there wasn't going to there <laughs> yeah. wasn't going to be a problem. <laughs> Surprise when the bill comes. But, uh, but he he warned me ahead of time, and I think it was a hundred dollars when I left. Ooh, yeah. that was for her. No, 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 that's not true. Well, it was a hundred dollars. This is wow. years ago, years ago. I haven't. I don't even know when it was. But what was unique about it, and I wanted something unique. I was looking for places like that. It was like walking into a Morocco itself. On the outside, plain walls, one word, fez, nothing glamorous, nothing. But when you walked in, you had columns, mosaics. Mm -hmm. So I was transported to another country. It was just really weird. And uh, when they showed us our, our table, there was no table. They showed us a they, there were so many rooms, I'd never been in all of them, so I don't know what was on the rest of the other rooms. But we went into this one room, and there were, 
I would say one, two, three, there are probably five booths, but not like a booth you have what's in your mind. Yeah. Each booth, there was no um, high covering shielding you from the other booth, so you could see across the way and, like, and next door. But the booths were wide. In fact, it was in a horseshoe shape. And you were sitting on like a sofa. There was no table. It was like a couch. It was in fact a couch. And pillows all around behind you. And you're sitting on the couch in pillows. And it's a little, and it's a low. Low to the floor, yeah. And then there was a table in front of us. It looked like a coffee table. Maybe two feet wide by two feet wide. And this is this is going to be different. I can tell you right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so we ordered, but the first thing the guy came by, towel, a couple of towels wrapped around his arm, bowl, pitcher, of water, warm water. We had to wash our hands before we ate mm. into that bowl. So very different. Never done that before. And. Then to make a long story short, it was startling after startling after startling because it must have been a five or six, I lost track, course meal. So they would bring in the first meal and we could never finish, even if it's soup or whatever it was, we could never finish it. There's too much. They would, it, don't forget the, the, the horseshoe place where we were sitting could probably sit 10 people, at least 10 people, and there's only two of us. Wow. And, but, and each booth was like that. And so when they brought the food, it was just, and look at the food, you, 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 you could tell, I'm in another country, they don't serve food like this. And it was all exotic, uh, ex exotically displayed. What, like camel? Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, we did get over the hump, yeah. <laughs> I, but it wasn't that exotic, but the way it prepared and a lot of spices and herbs and I mean every dish was unique and every dish they brought out we could have fed ten, ten people and there's only two of us. I didn't understand that. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> so I guess it, they, they, they cater for ten people. I don't know. Um, but it was wonderful. And then at the very end um, they bring some, they put some kind of hot tea at the end and I know probably Silas and Reem would know what that tea is all about. And um, it has, not ginger, something like that in that tea, very different. And there was some dessert, mm -hmm. which we've never tasted before. And then we're all finished. They bring out a huge bowl of fruit. A huge bowl oh. of fruit. I could feed That's ten people dessert, again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just no way. And... Um, so it was quite an experience. To, uh, so it was well worth the hundred dollars. I, I never been back because <laughs> of the price. You don't go that do yes, that sir. repeat business. <laughs> but uh, it was wonderful, and I felt like I was in another world. And they did have one other unique thing that was a little startling that I wasn't expecting, and they had their traditional belly dancer come up, oh. and dance in the area where we had the five booths. He kind of went in front of each booth and. Little thing, and I used to say, you know, the belly dancing. And I used to tell people when I told them that 
they said, you know, they have to go to a special school to learn belly dancing. Mm -hmm. And they said, what school was that? They said, the Naval Academy. Naval. I knew that was going to be a disappointing joke. And I said, but then it was in Europe. I said, it's in Europe. Yeah, along the Rhine. Oh, Rhine. <laughs> I had my chance, so, okay. Did they also have a snake charmer in the corner? Oh, with, I hope uh, not. With the flute, you know? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but they were all just in their costumes. Someone walking over hot coals. <laughs> but it was it was a wonderful night. That was Hollywood. That was. That's the cool thing about L.A. is all the different cultures oh. and restaurants and yeah. and uh, right in your backyard. Yeah, the only other unique place, but it wasn't in, in Hollywood, but it was, in, it was a Russian restaurant. Oh, and, nice. uh Maybe later on I can tell you about the Russian restaurant because that was also another unique place to go. And again, asking some of my co-workers, I want to take my wife to a special place. Another wonderful, unique, memorable yeah. night. Oh yeah, which is well. Speaking of restaurants, yes. how was that for a segue? Okay. Um, so both of my mom's parents passed away before I was born, but you uh, met my mom's mom. Yes. And you guys went out to dinner once at a German restaurant, oh, yes. right? Oh, yes. So what was that experience? Yeah, and again, asking for some special place for my wife. We had gone there just before, once or twice, not twice. And um, it was a little uh, restaurant called, I think, the Alpine House in near San Fernando. And uh, you walk in, and it looks like a little place that, that uh, would have been in Germany. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was all German food, and they had a uh, on a stage a three-piece uh, I call it umpa band that played uh, bolkas, accordion the whole the whole oh, bit, okay, and, yeah. and very very good musicians. And uh, then they would have people. It was like Oktoberfest. Oh yeah, that that would have been <laughs> packed because it was totally an ethnic place, totally ethnic for Germans. I mean, it was just um, and. Uh, they would, a lot of people, not a lot of people, it wasn't a lot of people there, but the ones who were there, it must have been like, this is a place where we gather every Friday night, you know, and... Uh, did they wear it's the, the shorts with the overalls? The well, the green, band did. <laughs> the band of the The band hat. did, and a couple of dancers did. Yeah. Yeah. And there was young, one young couple, I think at the time that we had uh, your mom's mom there, um, they had to be 19, 20, 21... Never saw dancing like that. It was just incredible. In fact, I don't think anybody would want to get up and try to polka after they saw these two people up there because they were they were almost professional. They were just so good. But uh, we wanted to take Chris's mom there because we thought she'd enjoy the ambiance yeah. and the whole the band and the German music and the and the food. They had they had the uh, purple cabbage and. I can't. I don't. Can't remember all the other stuff. Then I love purple cabbage, and um, no, no, not uh, purple cabbage. No, what's that called? Ooh, I have not no idea. Some kind of sauerkraut, I think it is. Oh yeah. Some kind of purple sauerkraut or something like that, and um, but but she she enjoyed the 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 mood the the food and then because it's such a, a homey place, and an ethnic place, that. There's certain songs they sing every night, and uh, and that all Germans know, you know. Oh yeah. And so they did that again while she was there, and at one point, uh, 
He lifted up her glass and was singing all the songs <laughs> with the words and everything, uh -huh. just like she was home. And it felt good for us to have her there. That's good, yeah, because she is, is from Germany, yeah. fluent yeah. completely. So, so she, she, I, she really had a good time. Just, it, I, I would imagine it would have brought back some, some, some memories and some yeah, reminiscences. So, yeah, but it was, cool. it, it was, I think we were just as happy to have her there. She was happy to be there. Cause Maybe someone had a Heffenweiser uh, drink. Oh, could be. Maybe. Wow. Speaking of Ron, by the way, through that connection... Did my first extra job on numbers. Oh, is so that right? He hooked oh. me up with that. It was the first time I was ever an extra was on numbers, and then oh. I did it for about three years off and on after that. Wow. I caught the bug. I, I can see why, you know. It must be Very always fun exciting. being on set. So, also in recent news, you know, um, there's a great-granddaughter that has been added to the family, so that's exciting. Yes. Mary she, Bell. Mary... <laughs> Mabel Lynn Garcia. I mean, has <laughs> where did I get Mary Bell? Mary Bell. Close. <laughs> I want to say Maybell. Mabel. So I that's Mary cool. Bell instead of Mabel. <laughs> and um, you, you beat me to the, the, the hospital. Lynn, so. Yeah, Mabel Lynn. And uh, we were both there um, the day of... In the hospital, mm -hmm. so that was great. Nothing like holding a newborn. Oh you know? my gosh! So of you, course not. You beat me there by a few hours, but yeah. So uh, no, I think you were there before. I think I was there the night before. Oh, that's what I remember. Before she gave birth, and then I worked. Okay. The next day, and then came there after work. So yeah, that was because uh, a milestone for us, and just quite an experience to yeah. Not only hold a hold a baby for a long time, but to know that it's your first own first great great granddaughter. So that was yeah, so that was pretty good. Congrats to us. I'm a first time yes. uncle. Yes, of first course. Time. And uh and Jamie got married recently. That's the other milestone. Absolutely. So Yeah, uh, it's kinda like the, the, the first three now because now we've had our first grandson yeah, that got back. married, now our first granddaughter that got married, and now we have our first great grandchild. Yeah. So, and later this fall, another uh, granddaughter. Another granddaughter will is, bite is, the dust. Is, is engaged to be married as we yes. speak. So, and you uh, at Jamie's uh, gave a lovely prayer. I thought at her at Jamie's wedding, you, oh, you oh, did the oh, prayer. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know. And you didn't even like read it. It was all well, just from the heart. I mean, I I, I had an idea what I wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, just because of who they were. And then because who I was, you know, I knew who they were, and so it was it was personal. Mm -hmm. So um, and I wanted to because that would have been a, a real uh, honor and privilege for me to be able to do that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thank you. I, I, now I uh, really enjoyed being there and wanting to to yes. pray for them. So I appreciated Matt's restraint because I've. I've heard him be more long-winded before. <laughs> he, he kept it on script okay. and did a great job, I thought. Boy, um, there was another uh, seg... Oh, yes, okay. So, in your uh, job career area of life, where we left life off, you were working as a systems analyst. And, of course, um, at some point you worked for... 
Fox, 20th Century Fox, right? And we got the, the newspaper clipping. Three new analysts joined Systems and Procedures Department, headed by Jim Garcia, that's you. And uh, they are uh, Zena, Annie, and Kizzy, right? I yes. can't pronounce the last names. <laughs> I don't want to butcher the last names. So what's the, what's the story behind working at 20th Century Fox there? Well, um, I was working as a manager of systems and procedures at another company, and I needed to move out, and I applied for a job there at 20th Century Fox. They were looking for not a data systems and procedures person, but a non-data, if you will, systems and procedures person. Um, like somebody who would go into a department and perhaps um, reorganize a few things, reorganize some of their processes so that they could produce whatever they're producing faster, more efficient, uh, cheaper, um, just by looking at the process. And what you do is you, you question everything. If it takes four, 14 steps to produce something, mm -hmm. Are all 14 steps absolutely necessary? What if we took one out? What would that do? Yeah. And then things may shift a little bit, but if it's not core, yeah, what can you, we, you out? can do without it? Now it's 13 steps. So a lot of times you would either eliminate steps, combine steps, um, or make steps shorter. Mm -hmm. And as a result, maybe the 14 steps could cut down to 10. So now the department's process is much more efficient than, than they have. How long before. does the 20th Century Fox gig last? Three years. Three years? Three years, yeah. It's a long time. Yeah, and then, and then as, it, as it turned out, um, they, they had enough of systems and procedures, non, non, it was mostly data processing. So then I had to find another job after that. But during that time... You had worked yourself out of a job. Uh, well, not, my, not myself, <laughs> but they just decided that it was becoming very computerized, everything. Do you remember these, these ladies? Yes, Zena, very much and so. And, and very much so. Yeah, I remember having a lot of conversations with them. In fact, they used to kid me because, um, as you can see, they're all relatively good-looking women. Mm -hmm. And... So because we were in 20th Century Fox and they produced a lot of TV series, they said Garcia and his three angels. Oh, yeah. Analysts. I can see it. What was the other angel? The, the Charlie's Angels. angels? Charlie's Angels, Garcia's yeah. Angels, three of Garcia's them. Garcia's Angels, yeah. Of course, we didn't have that kind of relationship, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was kind of funny. You didn't send them on spy missions. No. Uh, well, I and it, so. and it did because they were supposed to go through, you know, to these departments. Oh yeah, they were like spies. And and uh, although they were treated as spies, they really were there to help. And and now that was part of the dilemma. Whenever we go someplace, the manager, of course, says, "I don't need you. I'm doing fine. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to change anything." So when you become involved in systems, and I've been doing it almost all my life, systems, I learned very early, very young, people are resistant to change. Yeah. And even <laughs> to become almost violent to it, that 
and it's it's a very pride pride thing, and they will not admit that somebody comes in and said if you, if you change this you know turn left instead of right, you can do it a little faster. We're okay. <laughs> That's all right. Don't okay. Anything else? And that was the toughest thing about being a systems analyst. You're you're in the same type of job as an advisor. I have no direct responsibility over that department. All I can do is recommend. It's like a tax advisor. He can't force you to do things. He says, but there'll be consequences if you don't, or, or, or you can do a better job if you don't, or whatever. But I can never enforce them to change to do something. And yeah. that, that was a hard spot to do. And, w and wouldn't you around there see like the MASH people or some, you know, people around? Yeah, it was, it was very interesting to be in the... That's a fun place to be. In the, what do they call it? The commissary? The commissary. Yeah. Now, that was a trippy place just well, yeah. by itself. But I did see MASH was being Alan presented Arkin. there. Love Boat was there. Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Based on Hazard, your life. Hazard, Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard was there. And but there was a one one time your friend visited you. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he was a he was a Mash fan. He was he was a TV freak because um, he he just ate and lived and slept TV. You know, he was unmarried and he just loved it. So he must have known after my own heart. <laughs> he, he must have seen every Mash episode that there was. So uh, whenever I could, I could invite people over to lunch for, at the commissary. So I invited him over, and he came over for lunch. And uh, we're always hoping to see mm -hmm. celebrities. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Uh, just like staff like me eating there. But um, that one particular day, the whole MASH set, came, the, whole, the whole MASH production came in. Six or seven people. I don't know how many there were getting their food ordered, and, and they sat almost at the booth or at the table and not too far away from us at all. And my friend, he was in heaven. Yeah. To see those people, <laughs> live and in living color, to be right next to him and eavesdrop and say, yeah. hear, him, hear him talking. <laughs> and he just thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I and never... It was unplanned, of course, because I never knew who was going to be there. I was just going to have him at lunch and have him walk around and see, maybe see some of the sets. Yeah. In fact, we saw some of the props there that they used for, is it Silver Train or Silver Bullet with Wild? Oh. With Wild and, and the black guy? Uh, I was thinking of Steve McQueen's bullets. No, no. No, this was Australia. It had to do with the train. The tra it was a train. Oh, a train. And the train wound up... Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the guy who played Frankenstein? Uh, Boris Karloff? No, no. The the, the, the other... the. Uh, oh, Peter Boyle. Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, oh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. He was a star in that movie. Oh. It had to do with the train. Silver Streak. Silver Streak. Yeah, with That's Richard a train. Pryor. That's yeah, a train, yeah, yeah. right? Okay. And I saw the prop oh, okay. that they used for the oh, train. Yeah. And... It wasn't a real train. <laughs> <laughs> no. They tend to not be. <laughs> and there were other things that I saw there that, you know, floors you because there was one little place that they was, I only saw a little bit of it. It was a miniature set of a city. 
So, but it was miniature set, and it's like toys. And I'm sure when they shot it, it probably looked like someone had taken from an airplane. It was real. And so we sent a lot of different things like that. Yeah. And then I would pass by a hangar sometimes, and they'd have the hangar door open, and a big, big hangar, like we could put a plane in there. But then I walked in, or not, they walked in, but from the side, I could see that there was, there was a background, beautiful blue skies and why? Sand, umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the ocean. Yeah, all of a sudden. it's pretty convincing. And this is this is in a hangar, yeah. you know. So stuff like that. And then I guess the most the two exciting things was Marie Osmond did a musical there for Christmas in the summer. Oh. So she's With wearing Donnie? all these. <laughs> no, it was by herself. By and herself. It was, Wearing all these fur capes and fur cats and, and, oh, and in the summer, in the summer, and it was grueling out there. But it was kind of interesting to see how they turned what I usually see every day into a set. Yeah, and it's just amazing. And I, we worked near a, a street, and that's the first thing I noticed was this street. I would have to pass by that street to go to different buildings to do my work. And it seemed like, you know, every other month, it was a different scene, but it was the same. It was the same street. <laughs> One day was I'm Russia, the other day I'm in New York, <laughs> and it's the same scene. So it's just amazing to see how they could, what they can do from a camera. <laughs> and as an employee there, did you get to see free movies? Absolutely, that was one of the perks. Yeah. So that was a. And anything notable? Yeah, there were a couple of things. They were oh. Of uh, course, one of them was uh, a movie that was coming up, and they said it was going to be really great. And But they had, because of the rumors that are going around, they limited the free tickets to family only, as opposed to friends. Family only. Yeah, before you could bring a friendly and a family, whatever, right? So this time they said family only. So I went up to go get my tickets. And I said, I'd like to have seven tickets. And he said, seven they tickets? Said, That's a big family. He said, you can't have seven tickets. This is only family. I said, that is my family. <laughs> so I had to really work at it to get him to give me the tickets. So I got the tickets, and we went in. And they have a pretty good-sized theater and a big screen. And the movie turned out to be Star Wars. Not we did not know that. I mean... Star Wars? You saw Star Wars early before anyone else. Before it was distributed to the movie theaters. Wow. Yeah. And at that time, they even passed out a couple of posters. Posters? Which my kids gave away and didn't keep after a while. <laughs> Probably <laughs> worth a lot of money now. Biggest movies of all time. Yeah. That was the original Star Wars. Wow. So that was that was a pretty unique experience, and all the kids got to and see it. They were it. the right age for it, like five and six. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah they, 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 it was good. Oh, wow. And the only other movie that we saw that I remember was you became the cool dad. After that was Turning Point. Turning Point. I don't know that one. Turning Point Two was with Anne Bancroft, who played oh, Helen Mrs. Keller. Oh, Mrs. Robinson. Helen Keller. Oh, Helen Keller. You ever seen that movie? No. Oh, The Miracle Worker. Yes. No. That's got to be on your list, Caleb. That one, the has, that one has to be on your list. It's so powerful movie. It'll tire you out. 
It will tire you Believe out. you. And you get your emotions wrapped up. I mean, it's an incredible and movie. Well, was she Helen or Ann Sullivan? She was uh, the one who taught the little girl. Okay, yeah, Ann Sullivan. Yeah. No, no, the little girl was... Um, Anne Frank? Is that one? No, no, no. no. She, uh, the... Not, not Helen Keller. No, um, I, I, it'll come back to me. Patty Duke. Oh, pa oh Patty, Patty Duke, Duke played played the deaf girl. Helen Keller. Okay. No, no, Helen Keller was a teacher, was she not? No, no, Anne Sullivan yeah, was the teacher. Yeah. Oh, Anne Sullivan was the teacher. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so uh, Anne Bancroft played played the teacher. Okay. And, but then and that's a fantastic movie. You only have, you'll, you'll, you'll chomp it up there at high, high numbers, rated. It's an incredible movie. And she played with um, a dancer, red hair. Lucille Ball? No. Um, um, I can't think of her name now. She played in many, many, many movies. Maureen O'Hara? Uh, later than that, much later than that. Not earlier. Julie Roberts. Uh, oh, earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what was Turning Point about? Ballet. Oh, ballet. Oh, god, ballet. <laughs> ballet movies are so tough. <laughs> but it keeps you on your toes. They're, oh, <laughs> they're just painful to watch. Just what people go through. It was like, for them contorting their body and uh, just, oh, oh, they're. Feet. Well, it, it was it, a lot of interesting things about the movie, and it was a story of these uh, Shirley MacLaine. Oh yeah. And Ann Backup, they were ballet dancers, and they got to a certain age. You know, uh, one of them already had children, uh, oh. teenage children, and but they were getting older, so they weren't going to become the prima donna anymore. So the kind of handwriting was kind of on the wall. So Shirley MacLaine chose to. Raise the family oh, and the family. leave the ballet. And Bancroft, she was still doing well, so she stayed. So it's a story of both those going at the same time. And so each has its own story, which is very, very good. So while that's going on, how each are going to wind how how Anne Bancroft winds up after she gets older in the ballet, the, the idea that. I'm getting too old for this, and they're not going to show me as a prima donna anymore. So all of that part, and then that story about Shirley MacLaine wanting to get back into ballet. Both her kids, boy, boy and girl, are in ballet. Mm. But the but her daughter. This is a this is a subplot. So you got these two plots going. There's a subplot. Mm -hmm. um, the 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 daughter was. Unreal. She was so beautiful that there can't be a person like that that's that beautiful. <laughs> she has, she's an android. They, she, she, they, they found her. They can't be. <laughs> and she's very young. And she was going to be a ballet dancer. And uh, and they, she was going to be dancing with one of the famous Russian dancers, Mikhail. Reznikov, and uh, he was an incredible dancer, and 
he had thighs like this. And when he leaped, somehow he suspended in air. He stayed suspended until he came down. He was so good. Well, they danced together. But at the very, very end of the movie, they show her dancing by herself. And they show him dancing by himself and then both together. And by the time I saw all of that in the movie at 20th Century Fox, before it got distributed, when I finished seeing that movie, when I left the theater, the theater, I wanted to dance out of the aisle, on the aisle, out of the theater. It was just so, so wonderful to see that dancing. But the other side of it was what you say is true. They showed the daughter, this beautiful daughter, coming home from a ballet practice, and she took off her ballet shoes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You heard the word gnarly? Oh, yeah. She had gnarly foot, and it was not beautiful. I believe oh, it. Man, it was... It was literally like gnarly on a tree, bumps and blood coming out because it was terrible. So it never leaves your image and how can they dance with that kind of terrible thing on it? Ballet is, is so beautiful and so dark at the same time. <laughs> well, she must be going through pain. This, this, you know what this is here? Swan Lake? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite pieces. Tchaikovsky, you like him. Oh, I love Tchaikovsky. You've been going to the Hollywood Bowl a long time and seeing Tchaikovsky. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, speaking of something... That's a good segue. <laughs> what did you do after the uh, 20th Century Fox job? What was the next gig? <clears throat> Whatever happened to... Kizzy and uh, Anne. I got a job with uh, Executive Life Insurance as a Systems and Procedures Manager. Same position. I had two two staff that would be working for me, um, and I was there thirteen years. And actually, eventually, retired from that company. That went down under. That was my okay. last, that was my last job. But while I was there, I did advance from. Where were the, where was that located? Originally, oh. the building was in Beverly Hills, uh, right close to Rodeo Drive. So during my mm -hmm. lunch, that's where I, I would walk around. You're a super commuter. Oh, <laughs> oh, that I wasn't far. Uh, <laughs> For me, it wasn't far. Um, but we started with about 300 employees. And while I was there, it went up over almost 1,300 employees. And with it, I grew with the company. And I learned so much there. I, because they had a good, I had a good boss. And when the company started growing, um, I guess he must have seen enough of me. And, and, and she promoted several people because it was just getting too big. So I wound up with, besides systems procedures, I wound up with three three other departments. And make a long story short, <clears throat> I wound up before I left my highest. I became assistant vice president of administration, and I had sixty-seven people and four managers reporting to me at the time. 
before 67. Wow. It was under four managers. Under now. Yeah. And um, it had moving to do, on up, but over, over a period of time. Yeah. But but the one boss, it was a lady boss, and she was just a fantastic boss, and she was good for the company, and for the growth, and for people. She was a very people-oriented type person. She she's the one who provided apples for the employees every single day. Wow! You passed by just thinking, how about them apples? Oh, you got it, and boy. That you know, I, you know, it's it seems so easy how to build loyalty. Yeah. All you gotta do is be kind a little bit. And yeah. Hey, she's not so bad, you know. And if Carmel was on the apple, it's even better. <laughs> well, Beverly Hills well, is a nice place well, to. Well, Carmel used to work there, but she's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Beverly Hills is a nice place to spend uh, thirteen years. Also. No, no, no. I was only only there oh. for a while. And then they get oh, oh, then they moved. They outgrew okay. there. Yeah. And uh, then the rent became too expensive. Uh, no, no, they is well perhaps, but they were going very, very fast. So they wound up in, uh, I think. Oh, they wound up in a building. Four, five, and Olympic. And it was uh, they had purchased a. Thirteen, fourteen-story building. The company did. Mm. And it was a life insurance company initially, but it sold all lines, all kinds of insurance. And uh, oh, yeah, thirteen story, five. thirteen story building, and all, and that's where I, that's where I grew. And uh, it, it was wonderful for m many, many, many years. But then, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Um, I was literally just over there. My boss went to Hillcrest there. Golf Course. And I took the four or five, got off Olympic, and oh yeah, went up there because it's Olympic slash uh, Pike Pico. Pico is the next one over. Olympic, okay, yeah. yeah. So that was it's Olympic and then Pico and Pico and then Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was a great place to work. I learned a lot. Uh, there's a lot of stories. I guess one is like. As a father, is that exciting for you? Your kids are getting married, and then how are you liking meeting your new daughters-in-law and their families? Like, you know, like meeting Christy and her family, meeting <clears throat> my mom and her family, or uh, Angie, Laura, Steve Knight. It's kind of a broad question, but... I'll give you a broad how's, answer. How's that period of life... <laughs> Well, all I can say, I'm not sure I remember a lot of that. However, what I do remember, in general, today reflects on what probably happened when, when, when I first met my new daughter-in-laws. And it's always been my blessing to know that uh, we are so blessed and happy to have the daughter-in-laws that we have that are married to our kids. And um, and now only son-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> um, Steve always says we'll Steve to Mercy, to the... how's your favorite son-in-law? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we were so happy with their choices 
and we thought they they were wonderful people. Uh, mature, yeah, yeah, I'm, responsible. I'm, and... I'm Mabel's favorite uncle on her dad's side. That's <laughs> what I say. <laughs> so, but that's on you know everything that I remember remember would be all good memories from my sister sister my daughter-in-laws all of them and even over the years now for so many has gone through some real crises and to have the daughter-in-laws by their side during those crises yeah it's like a double double recognition for them because that it, 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 as they say in cowboy talk, it weren't easy, man. <laughs> it was not easy. It's just. And there was a trend you even noticed that your son would marry slightly older women. <laughs> it turned. It seemed to turn out that way. <laughs> Maybe because yeah. their their maturity and and responsible and they're they're ready for that stage of life of family and yeah, it was ready uh, to settle down. It was at the time, of course, surprising to us and. But then, <clears throat> even though my boys sometimes clown around, yeah, <laughs> they have a serious side, mm -hmm. and I don't think they were looking for the. They all wanted the to younger ones with crazy girls. Yeah, you know. Um, a little cuckoo and I mean not so mature but they were looking for that kind uh, of girl they needed somebody I guess who could understand them and know them and and support them and um, think think like they did and talk, be able to talk to them and so I guess that's why they wound up I, you know again we were surprised each time but uh, that's just the way it worked out and so now Mercy's eight years older than I am no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. Um, I've, I've seen pictures specifically from Matt and Christie's wedding, and um, all the Delgados are there as well. Oh, yeah. So just a huge affair oh, of, yes. of people. And uh, so that's also uh, really cool to have sure. the, the big family. Absolutely. And um, speaking of the Delgados, yes. Um, are there specific Delgado members that you got along with that you liked of her brothers and, and sisters that you clicked with? Yeah, that's an in interesting question. Um, yeah, a few of them, actually. No, Even, don't forget... Uh, nieces and nephews as well? Yeah, over a, a span of Mercy's siblings, 12, including herself, that's a big span. Yeah. So the older ones I didn't know as much or as well... But uh, the youngest ones I did, so just uh, above Mercy is Louis Delgado. Mm -hmm. And um, he was basically the person that walked me down in the Coliseum one year during the Billy Graham crusade. And that's the day I received Christ. So I wanted to go down and make that decision, and I asked him, would you come with me? Mm -hmm. So, um, Mercy was there, and some of her siblings were there. They waited for us, and I went down. 
And that's where I actually made a commitment. And Louis was a pastor, right, for many years? Louis has been in church work as long as I can remember him. And he, the earliest I remember him was he was doing youth work as a youth director. And then, then he became pastor in, in two or three churches. And then uh, ultimately he wound up as a missionary uh, with Luis Palau, the Latin American Billy Graham, if you will, because mm -hmm. he went with Luis Palau all over the world, and and was on was on was on his team, and uh, preaching the, preaching the word in Spanish. But then after a while, he really felt his heart. Louis felt his heart was in Mexico, uh, where his parents were from, and so he went when he came back from Luis Palau's one of his tours. Then he he stayed. He, he got a, got a hold of another missionary group that was able to or he support him down in Mexico and then was there for I don't know how many years. So now and then at this late point he it was becoming very communistic in Mexico and it was getting a little dangerous for he and his family to stay down there. So then they moved back here, but he's still with. Uh, like like groups like Campus Crusade and all those groups that still send, and so he still makes trips oh, yeah. all over the place, including Mexico, but but he doesn't live there anymore, and but he's basically family counseling. He's got his master's in family counseling at Biola. Okay, One of his cool. daughters has has uh, uh, um, I think a doctorate, also in family counseling from Biola. She has a doctor. Oh, yeah. She lives in England. So oh, yeah. yeah. And you even gave a few of the eulogies at some of the funerals. So, um, you... Yeah, the, one, the last one was a, um, Mercy's brother, Sal. And um, I forget who asked me. They just said, would you contact, maybe because it was an emotional thing, they said, would you contact all the siblings who are alive and um, no actually they this one person who was coordinated this thing she contacted all the siblings and said write something not too long and they gave it, she gave us some kind of a limit and then your most memorable events with Sal what you remember about him how he affected how he impacted your life so all the siblings each one wrote something and then they sent it all to me to put it all in, in, an, in a eulogy. So I just compiled it and put, yeah. it, put it together. Yeah. And then the day that of the, of the uh, memorial service, I was going to read it. And a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. <laughs> I, not too far from home, I stopped by a bank to get some cash. And... I almost didn't make it back from the teller's window to the car. I don't know what happened. My leg gave out completely. <clears throat> oh wow! I don't know what happened. I, I couldn't even walk. I don't. I dragged myself to the. I didn't know I was gonna drive home. Then Mercy got a ride to go to the funeral because her brother, and I stayed home. And to get around the house, I used a chair, just to move around to go to the bathroom. Oh wow! I, I don't know what happened, but so as it turned out, it was. Even better, if you will, because one of Sal's grandsons read the eulogy. 
which is even you yeah. know even better. Yeah. And it it shows that they really liked you and respected you. That they would ask you to prepare something and speak. That they really included you. Yeah, I think it was and, Francine, um, Francine, Sally's daughter that that asked me to do that. Yeah. And and, and I enjoy doing it. Uh, I really you know, I like to write. You know, I like to do things. Since in the procedures, I like to write. You know? That's true. Yeah. And you like telling the stories of people's lives and giving a good summation. You know, it's funny you say that because when I worked for Executive Life Insurance, the things that they were doing down there, when I would uh, interview somebody for a job, you'd think I was working for their PR department. I just could not say enough good things about them. And I told them all these wonderful stories about executive life. And they're like, where do I sign? Where do I sign? <laughs> I mean, there were such great stories. I guess to t tell you one. Yeah. And, and just to give an idea, um, Fred Carr was the president of the company, and it's an insurance company, so they had the million-dollar club, two million-dollar clubs, all these kind of things. But what he would do is once a year, and I don't know how many years he did this, once a year, those who would make a certain amount, he would take them on a trip. But this was a tremendous trip. Hong Kong. Wow. Sweden. I mean, incredible. And he would take the, the salespersons and their wives as a group. And sometimes he'd have like a hundred on a plane. And he would do two or three plane trips. It was just incredible. But what was exciting about it was that the trips were like Fantasy Island. Um, when they got over there... The plane, the plane. Yeah. When they got over there, the details that these people arranged mm. were down to the net. So they would arrive, arrive in a foreign city, Italy... Uh, let's see, where's the, where's the Venice, where they have the, the canals? The canals. Yeah. So they would uh, they would tell them that when you arrive and get off the airport, don't worry about your luggage. And they say, what do you mean? Your luggage will be in your room when you get there. Yeah. Now that takes a little bit of handling. A midget carries it there. Somebody did. <laughs> Some fairies or somebody and got it there to the right room. And then stuff like that. And every night there would be a gift for them and the wives on, a, on the pillow. Every night. And there was one time when they were in London, England. They, they were going to visit a castle at sunset, if you will. And so they had arranged for it. You imagine there, there are 70 to 100 people, right? And so, say, say it's 50 couples. They hired 50, 50 carriages, carriages, horse-drawn carriages that picked them up from their hotel and drove them along these famous streets over these famous bridges. And, and at one point, all, all the, the road was all lined with like candles on the bridge and everything just to go to a castle. I mean, they treated them like they were kings and queens. I'm telling you this for a purpose. Did you go on any of these? No, no, oh. no. But I, but I am telling you for a purpose, okay. all this. And But it was that kind of thing. One day, they were in 
some country, I don't know, forget which trip it was on. And the only way I got involved was I had a forms department, like an art department, and we did all the brochures. We did, we did, we did all the things for them, pictures. We even hired a, a, a Spanish dancer to come in and take pictures of her. And this is in one of my departments. So we, I got involved through, through all the promotional publicity and, mm-hmm. and, and tickets and stuff like that. So they arrived at this one city, and there's always a surprise. If there's not enough surprises going on, there's another. Says, okay, they said, okay, tomorrow when we pick you up, said, uh, pack a bag. We're going to take you someplace for an overnighter and then bring you back. Okay. So they go to the airport. It's the Concord. The big one. Remember the Concord? Is that, that a plane? Yes. It's the biggest plane that they big ever plane. made. And the world, and it only it only landed at certain airports. It was so big, and they had to uh, design oh. a runway for it. They they uh, chartered the Concorde for their employees. This, uh, this famous plane. And wives. Wow. And they flew them to Switzerland, to Switzerland for an overnighter. I mean, how great is that? <laughs> And so I'm telling all the new employees all these stories. <laughs> We're not the story would be a lot better if, if you went on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> so they got back. And so what happened was, and I say all of that to tell you this, because without that, this would not be as important. Okay. There was a lady that worked in my department, one of my departments in word processing. Uh, one year, when they were... The president was having all of his famous trips. It was the 10th year anniversary. So they were flying to Italy. And the president said, if there are any employees who have been here 10 years, they become one of my passengers on the trip. And you know what kind of trip now that they have. And there was one lady in one of my departments from Italy, from Italy, and she had been there 10 years, and she got to go on the trip. And To Italy? To Italy. And she's just like, I've like, been here before. Just like she's like like she had made the Million Dollar Club. Yeah. She got to go, I don't know, I, I can't remember if she had to go with somebody or not, but she still had family back there. So she, they, so the company, free, not a penny, and to make it even better, because she hadn't been back to Italy for so long, they let her stay an extra week and come back oh, on the next nice. plane home. Nice! <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't get to go. <laughs> no, but these are the stories I would tell employees. Say, what kind of company you have? Well, let me tell you what kind of company I have. <laughs> oh, yeah. You sold them. Um, <clears throat> you have 10 plus grandkids and several step grandkids. Do you like having such a big family? Absolutely. Right. It's a little hard to keep track of everyone. It is. But but I love trying to keep track of everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know what? No, that's, uh, uh, I, I wish I could spend a little time a little bit more with them. And but... the advantage of the grandkids over the kids is you can send them home. So you get... <laughs> no, because we, you know, we love being with them and finding what they're doing, where they're going, what their dreams are, and... 
uh, what, what's going on in her life, you know, like, as you know, one of them right now is in Kenya. And so oh, yeah. I Emily just, is in I Kenya, just uh, right? oh, yeah. texted her a couple of days ago. Yeah, and she probably so, won't get it. Yeah, she got oh, it. Oh, she got it. Oh, she okay. responded. Oh. Believe it or not. Okay. I'm flabbergasted <laughs> <Yeah>. myself. <laughs> and uh, in fact, it was really kind of neat. The teacher who went, I think there's about 10 kids that went down. Well, not kids, they're university students, you know, at Azusa. But I think about a, a group of wow, 10. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, three, three, I think there's three adults and then, then, the, then the young people. Um, but one of the teachers hit the parents of the kids that were going down. They're going to be gone three weeks. Wow. Not even a week. Three weeks in Kenya. And so she said, can you write them a letter now? And then send it to me, email, the one who's gathering from all the parents. And then they'll take it down. And halfway through the three weeks, they'll have mail call. And they'll give that letter to all the kids. So Emily will get our letter because I wrote to her, too. Wow. And so that was the teacher's idea. I said, what a great idea. Mail, mail call, mail, what's mail call? <laughs> I think some of the best advice for a young person in their early 20s is just go, get out of yeah. town. Well, now, now that see, that, it's a that, big country, a big world. Go that, see that stuff. That makes a segue for me because here's what I, as many times as I could, to each of the grandchildren. My advice to them at the time, and I've said it a few times to quite a, to quite a few of the grandkids, I think I've hit them all. But I may have to repeat it when you get closer to marriage. But again, while you're young, three things. Um, when you do get married, now say, oh no, when, before you get married, you're by yourself. You can live on a shoestring. Mm -hmm. And if you get in trouble, you're only getting in trouble with yourself, not with somebody <laughs> who's right next to you. So, right, yeah. so I said, so you can, you, can, you can go hungry for a couple of days, you know, I mean, whatever. I think of George Harris on that trip again. Mm -hmm. So, but if you had a wife, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. You know, so when you're young, travel as much as you can, and then when you get married, whenever that is, enjoy your wife as husband and wife before you have children, as much as you can, because once you have children, it's a different lifestyle, mm -hmm. and and you're just uh, limited in the in the instances that you want to go someplace you just can't because you're caring for for a young one um, but if you can enjoy each other as husband and wife go on dates again go on trips as more, as much as you can you don't have to worry about children and caring for them and then 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 settle down to your family that would be my only advice well you're young single Travel as much as you can, and after you get married, uh, wait as long as you can before you want a family so you can enjoy your wife. Now, you've been married a long time over 55 years. You've been married. What is some advice? Actually, it's 56, and it'll be 57 this year. It'll be 57 this year. So, when you do make the plunge, what is some, <laughs> <laughs> what is some advice for these? Uh, grandchildren of yours that are getting married to a successful well union I would have to define what success 
means <laughs> probably a lot of different things to a lot of different people. However, I can probably best sum it up, I think. Love and happiness. From No, from some of the things that I've read by C.S. Lewis. And I've read his material at a later time in life, so it was much more meaningful to me at that time. Now, maybe if I read it when I was first married, it might not be as potent and meaningful as it is today. And I'll just say one thing. Um, it's commitment. And then he elaborated, and it makes sense to me. Everything he said made sense because I experienced it. So I know what he was saying made, made sense to me because that's right. That's, you know, And so he said... Um, Emotions, I mean, love is an emotion. Love goes up and down. Mm -hmm. It goes up and down in our, my own family. You know, and he was kidding around when he wrote it. He says, I'm sure there's sometimes when my, my wife hates me for some of the things I do, and vice versa. It has nothing to do with marriage and love and commitment, see? It, it, it's an emotion. And so if your emotion... Is if your marriage is going to be based on solely emotion, it's going to be one heck of a bumpy up and down ride. It's got to take more than emotions, more like more than conquers, more than love. And he talks about movie love and poetic love and all these kind of things. He said, and, and then, he, then he kind of put the put the rubber to the road when he says, the emotions that you had. For your wife, when you first got married, are so intense that you would do anything, right, for, for your wife. But it, your emotions are so intense that it's just high, you're on a high level. He says, you can't keep that up for 50 years. The emotion, you can't have the same emotion at 50 years level than that you had when you were 21. Because it, it, that's not how, you, how the body works and how the mind works. So the marriage has got to call for more than love. It certainly has got to involve love, obviously. But it's got to be a little bit more than that. Because emotions are too emotional. <laughs> you can't count on them. You just can't. Um, and especially when, let's say, there's a crisis. Boy, your emotions are all skelter-helter. They're just all over the place. and So there's got to be something that transcends love. And that's commitment. Because when there are days when you have ups and downs, when you have downs, what's it going to take to get you back up? The commitment that you made to your wife. To love you till we die. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's very profound. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was kind of neat because he, you know, you kind of feel that way, but that he kind of capsulized it for me when I read that. And it was about eight or ten pages, short paragraphs that I've never forgotten. And I think the only one I really shared that with so far is I printed the pages out and gave it to Jamie. I can't, I, th I think I gave it to Jared too. Both of them have used that. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, forget, advice, I think. But, but, but just to say, it takes a long period of time. Track, yeah. 
and there's going to be ups and downs there. And I, I liked how they say it in one of the Christian stations, you have two imperfect people trying to make it together as one. Yeah. Good definition. Two imperfect people. Yeah, so the, the passionate, burning desire and those infatuation feelings are going to come in waves and not absolutely. always last. Absolutely, yeah. And that's not that you have the commitments. It has to be. It has to be the step above above yeah. that because while you're down, you feel yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, what's going to bring you back up? You yeah. don't want to stay down. You don't want to stay depressed. You don't want to stay. Uh, so you you're committed to be together for the rest of your life. No matter you know what what does it say for better or for worse. Yeah. Till till death do us part. For richer or poorer. For richer or poorer. Yeah. So whatever the see whatever the circumstance. Yes. It's, it's commitment. Now I know we've been talking a long time. Okay. So yes, I'll bring this this plane to a landing here. Okay. Um, I'd like to end our time, and thanks again for uh, all this time, um, by reading a passage. Yes. So there's because um, you're a big reader. You have a you, you take a Shakespeare class. You're always reading, yeah, yeah. and the the great literature and Classic giants, literature, yeah. which I really ad- think is cool. I, I really I, admire. I love it. We're in your library basically right now, so that's very cool. Um, so this is a poem I like. Um, let's see. Khalil Gibran, I probably butchered his name, the prophet, he wrote a book called The Prophet, so this is a poem, that book was written in 1923 from The the Prophet that I like, and it ties into love and marriage, like we were talking about, so I'm just going to read this through. You were born together, and together you shall be forevermore. You shall be together when the white wings of death scatter your days. I, you shall be together even in the silent memory of God. But let there be spaces in your togetherness, and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Mm -hmm. Give one another of your bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each of you be alone. Even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping. For only the hand of life can contain your hearts. And stand together, yet not too near together. For the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. The most difficult part of doing that, one of the most difficult parts of doing that is maintaining your individuality as you as you as you go towards being one. The space in between. Yeah. The shore is moving. You're 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 still together, you're still there, but you, you, but you're still separate. The pillars are separate. So, um, no, I, I, that was that was good. And I, 
especially after we just finished talking a little bit about that. Yeah, so, it's kind yeah, of like that was, that how, was how to be together. Right, yeah. But but the, 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 but the space, I remember the space. Keep, but keep the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, at one point, I, it's funny, I, I, because, you know, my, my, my personality is different than Mercy's personality. So each of us have to maintain our own personality, yet we have to become one in a marriage. And and yet maintain our individuality. So and, and that's that's hard to do. And for example, to show you the opposite of that, somebody this this is trite and almost hyperbolic, but imagine the wife saying, Yeah, but when we get married, I'm gonna am I gonna change this guy? See? No, that yeah. it it doesn't work that way. Oh, that's right. You, you know? can't change a man. That's well, and vice versa. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know she's way now, but when we get married, it'll be different. Cause I'm the man of the house, and I'm gonna. No, 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 no. Uh, that that individuality is, you know, mercy will always be mercy. You know, Garcia, Jim will always be Jim Garcia. We'll both be Mr. and Mrs. Garcia, but we still are an, an individual per people, individual likes. Individual levels in our maturity, individual levels in our spiritual maturity, individual le- individual levels in our, our artistic abilities, our likes or dislikes. Yeah, and and the eat not from the same loaf makes me think of like if I'm giving a hundred percent of my energy towards my stuff and my responsibilities, and also giving a hundred percent to my wife's, then there's there's nothing left if that pers- if one is just giving zero and one's giving a hundred yeah, then it's like I can't yeah. but uh, both give to each other right and yeah. then on the other hand I say one comment on that is and I'll say this first so it only kind of makes sense of, of why I want to say what I want to say My an uncle of mine gave me some advice as I was picking, as he was picking me up from high school going home oh, okay. and he was married second time and he says, Jim, now when you get married, remember, it's a 50-50 proposition. You get 50% and she gets 50%. I said, oh, okay, well, that, that makes sense, you know. But see, he was wrong. Mm. It's 100% each gives to each other. 100% to the marriage. So that, that that's the only comment that I no, make. And that... I saw that later that this is fifty percent. I mean, what are you doing the other fifty percent? Yeah, <laughs> you know, attending yourself. Like I guess. So, no, it isn't. That's not going to make for a, a, a good marriage. It's got to be. I give my all to her, and she gives her all to me to the marriage, and while we're becoming one. Yeah. yeah. And that is going to take commitment and love. Both. It's going to take both. Indeed. So what would you like to read? And then I'll let you go. Uh, I, I, I love reading scripture, and I try to memorize scripture as much as I can. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this one particular one uh, is from James, but there's so many passages I really like. But when I started to memorize the verses, I had, I had to make them to make it easier for me. I had to 
think of it as as if I'm writing myself to somebody or I'm speaking to somebody. Mm. Then it becomes more personal and becomes more conversational rather than just reading phrases. So this one here is about James and he's talking to the Christians and he says, uh, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, Oh, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, uh, You stand over there, or, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, uh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to re recognize you foolish fellows that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot 
also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Wow. And that's from James. Yeah. I could listen to you read the whole Bible. <laughs> well, that's, and for me, in order for me to be meaningful to me, mm-hmm. that's how I memorize it. Yeah. That's how I talk it out. So I'm not just looking at words and phrases. That's how I memorize it. Book of James. Yeah, with feeling. First, second Peter. And now I just finished first John. And I haven't, that's a new one. Yeah. I just got, but I have to say it that way because now it's not words anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 and then, and then the more I say it like that, it impacts me. You know, I'm, yeah. Because I'm not just, I'm saying it to myself as well as anybody else. Uh, I like the part that they will know your faith through your works. Yeah, absolutely. It's saying that you, you will like you will know Christians by how they love one another, of course. and it will bear good fruit. Yeah. And that's yeah for somebody to say, yeah, if, it's, if you see somebody in need, yeah, be warmed and hope everything turns out okay. Yeah. <laughs> said, what uses what uses that? Where are your yeah. works? Come on. And I think, like the tree growing fruit, the works come naturally because you want to do it. No, that's right. The apple tree will produce, I tell my kids in Sunday school class, the apple tree will produce apples. The orange tree will produce oranges. The Christian tree will produce good fruits. Yeah. Not bad fruits. The apple tree does not have to strain yeah, to produce it the should, apple. It should be, that's right, exactly. In other words, it should be very natural. Yeah. It should be very natural. It's just that's what comes to come out. Um, if you have the faith, you will have the works. It will come naturally to you. Can I read one little more passage? Yeah, absolutely. You sure? yeah, yes. absolutely. Uh, this is when I first started to realize that saying it with, with some meaning... I can I can memorize it more easily, but it became more meaningful because I was, I was like preaching to myself, you know. Um, in this case, I'm a teacher in Sunday school, so when I this one here kind of kind of caught me by because of that. It says, "Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says." He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits in the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, Mm -hmm. wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a very small part of the body. And yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. 
the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members at that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. And it goes on and on and on. Oh, I'm not reading the whole thing. But, but when, I, when I have to repeat it, in order for me to retain it now, I recited that one time at Newbury Park Church. And that's how I recited it. That's all, that's all I know. Yeah. It's not just reading a bunch of lines because it's, it's got to mean yeah, this. Yeah, of emphasis. It's got to mean, it's gotta mean and, something. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's so cool that you've taught Sunday school all these years to the kids. That's been that lifelong. Yeah, I love, I love doing that. I love doing that. With you know, rivers and after rivers and that you've done that for so long. Yeah, I'm still waiting and I'm, I I, I kind of feel it's maybe coming again. I've been looking for churches, you know, and so I, I think we found one and I'm hoping that I can start doing it again pretty soon. I think Mark Twain said, I can go for two months on a good compliment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. It's true, like we can really affirm oh, someone. Oh, I mean, this that was just two little things. And, and yet, and you've heard how a tongue can destroy people. Destroy them. I mean, even, I mean, gossip. Mm-hmm. And they, look at how the girls and guys in junior high and start whispering the bad things about other, other kids. It's, it's crucifying kids. The tongue is, is, is and the tongue and is a fire. It you can just, also build people up, and that's. Oh, yeah, you know, that's right. Wielding it that's right. in a good way. And, and here, the one part, uh, it says, um, Every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been in the likeness of men. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening fresh water and bitter water? Back to the tree again. What What are you producing here? That's right. Yeah, where, where, are, you, where are you coming okay, from? Okay, you're not going to read the whole Bible, no, no, are you? Because no, no, we've no, got, no. you know, we'll be here all night. No, no. I got a whole middle page I never got to. Oh, oh sorry. Not so much. But uh, we just might be back again someday. We'll see. All right. Well, I wanted to thank you, oh, Mike, for joining me. It was fun. On this, thank you for on this asking me verbal journey. I appreciate all your stories, and I learned a lot. It's a great experience. Well, I hope to see your your name up on a television screen sometime. Oh. As, uh, written by or documented by or something. <laughs> something. So yeah, I, I, I hope for that. Too. Yeah, sure. Oh, I would look forward to that. Yes. Well, this has been Caleb and this is Jim signing off. Have a good night, everybody.